0: Hey, we're so glad that you're here. Can we welcome everybody on Facebook Live, too? Yeah. If you're online, uh, we're glad that you're with us. If you're a Facebooker, we'd love if you could get on there and, and just share this post. And, and it's just a chance for your friends to check out church from a distance. Um, it's a little weird to just show up to a church sometimes, let's be honest. Um, it's uncomfortable. Maybe you don't know people or, you know, maybe you are part of that dechurched crowd and uh, you're not sure that you want to step back in here. So it's a great way... To connect. And I don't know if you were here last week, but I got to kind of retell the story um, that there was a a young woman who was actually sitting at a park on a rock watching from online, and God was speaking to her heart. uh, And so she actually showed up um, while we were doing baptisms, and she came up on stage, and we got to baptize her. It was amazing. So isn't that cool? Let's celebrate that. Look at us redeeming Facebook, right? It's not totally worthless. We're really excited about that. So um, anyway, if you're new, we are glad that you're here. We hope that you can find a home here. We hope that uh, you can settle in. We are starting a new series. Uh, today called Cherry Bomb. And I just love that video because there's nothing better than little boys in explosives, right? I mean, I just have great memories of playing with firecrackers when I was a kid. And I never actually was able to to play with cherry bombs because I don't know if you knew this, but they were outlawed in the 60s. Um, and so if you played with cherry bombs, you are officially old. So no, I'm just kidding. Actually, somebody in Wednesday was like, I played with cherry bombs as a kid. And I'm like, I know you did. So anyway, um, So uh, the first time I saw anything about a cherry bomb was actually watching a show called Rescue 911. Anybody ever watch that show? If you're like under the age of 25, you can look it up on YouTube. It's very old. Um, But anyway, so this kid's like in his bedroom and he lights a cherry bomb and he just like stares at it. And he just lets it blow up in his hand, and it blew off like three of his fingers. And so the show is all about, you know, helping this kid and rescuing people. And, and, and the reason they were outlawed was because people really underestimated the explosive potential of this little bomb. Um, and, and so they would be playing with them, and people were getting really hurt uh, by, by these little cherry bombs. And so the, the, the conversation for the next four weeks is going to be all about how Jesus made an impact on the world that was explosive, and he did things that you and I can do, little things, sometimes things that we might underestimate that I believe will take the church from the margins of society and place it right front and center as one of the greatest influencing things in the, in the world. That The church should be that, but unfortunately, when people think of the church they don't necessarily think of explosive impact in, in a healthy way. Maybe they think of it in a negative way. But we want for people to think of the church in a positive way and for people to think of uh, Christians in a way that we're making an impact and, and that if ACF Church were ever to go away, that they would miss us in this city. That is our goal. And so we have to look at the life of Jesus and we have to ask these questions where uh, we, we look back and we go, Jesus was here and he, 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 he was here for 33 years. He did three years of ministry. Why is it? That that short time of, of, of ministry on the earth is still making an impact today. Why is it that Jesus did things in that short time that we're still talking about, that people are still modeling their leadership afterwards? And I believe at the core of all of this is that Jesus came to the world to serve. He came to the world to serve. And when he served, it changed the world. And nobody had, had ever seen a leader quite like Jesus now, now, this kind of affects us, and, and, and this is going to be really countercultural. Um, I, I expect that during the message today and for the next four weeks, if you commit to being a part of this, that you will get uncomfortable. Um, th- this, this will be hard for a lot of people because as much as we say we'd like to serve, the reality is most of us really want to be served. Uh, we like to be first. And so I've entitled today's message, uh, If You're First, You're Last. little Ricky Bobby reference there. If you're first... Your last. So, anybody, real quick, just a quick question anybody here courageous enough to admit that they're a little bit competitive? Some, so the, okay, awesome. All right, we, should, we should do some ACF competitions. You guys, would, you guys would have some fun with it. So, here's the thing I'm not that competitive, but I'm married into competitiveness because my wife is competitive. She ran uh, for the, the University of Alabama cross country, and the girl has won a lot of races, and she loves to win. She just loves to win. So I've learned in my marriage the best thing to do is just to let her win, right? And so she is yeah, oh, that's not really. It's not that cute. So <laughs> it's just not. She loves to win and and I love that about her cuz she is competitive and she gives her best to things. And competition can be a really good thing. You know, the Olympics are are exciting because we watch the best of these people compete against each other and do better than they ever have. There's something about competition that can be really good, but at the same time, it can be really bad too, right? We've all seen the sore loser, We've all been the sore loser. We've all dealt with this feeling of being last or not being first. And we know that, that the desire to win can be okay, but, but that good thing can sometimes become an ultimate thing. And pretty soon our identity is wrapped up in being first. And we find ourselves doing things that we otherwise wouldn't do so that we can be first. And all you need to do to see this in, a, in, a, in an experience is go out shopping on Black Friday, right? Because it's coming, it's gonna be here in no time. And there's going to be like, you know, 85 women packed out front of Nordstrom's at like 2 a.m. waiting on the sale for this one dress. There's only six of them. And they're all going to go rushing in and plow over the poor little girl that has to like unlock the door, right? And you know, two of them are going to get the dress, the rest are not, and everybody's going to be upset, right? Or or maybe you're a guy and you're going to get like the 85-inch, how big are flat screens getting? The 95-inch flat screen for $2.99 at Walmart on Good Friday. And you're going to stand there with 50. Fifty other guys, you know, waiting for those two TVs or whatever it may be, and and you don't care what it takes to get the TV, right? In fact, I think it was two years ago, I was in Fred Meyer on a Black Friday with uh, my daughter, and I watched these two women just about duke it out over a crock pot, and and let me just tell you, like, the language got a little colorful, and and there's this little girl, she's like five, and she was in one of the ladies' carts, and I, I kid you not, she said, Mommy, we don't talk that way. And I'm like, listen to your daughter, ladies. Come on. I'm like, they're fighting, cussing each other out over this crock pot. I'm like, seriously, you know, or an Easter egg hunt, right? All you got to do is is go to an Easter egg hunt, which we do as churches. We put these on. And every year, I remember the first year we did it, I'm like, it'll be fine. Just, you know, blow the whistle and the kids will go out and, you know, they'll pick up eggs and be like, oh, did you want that egg? You take that egg, you know, And, and everybody will get eggs. No way, right? You parents know what happens, right? There's like a 13-year-old out there who's like, you know, knocking down two-year-olds. And he he comes out with 150 eggs. And then there's two-year-old like with a broken piece of plastic. I didn't get any eggs, right? And angry parents. It's a ton of fun. You should come to our next Easter egg hunt. (laughs) a great commercial for it. it it just it happens every year and everybody's mad because they all feel entitled like they all showed up early and you know my kid didn't eggs get eggs and you know the the 13 year olds like i deserve these eggs right i mean i knocked over 10 two-year-olds to get these eggs i you know i worked for this i deserve this and, and this this entitlement and many people would use that term entitlement to describe the generation that we're in right the world's most entitled generation. And so clearly there's something in us that wants to be first, that feels entitled to be first. And then we look at the life of Jesus and he flips everything upside down. But I really believe in the church. I really believe in this community. And I believe that we can change the way the world sees us, not so much by forcing our way to the front, but by taking our way at the back of the line. And becoming a servant to the world, that that is what people will stand up and notice about the church. And in fact, there's a few scriptures I want to go to to discuss this. Matthew chapter 7, it says this in verse 28. It says, When Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Okay, so the first thing we see is that Jesus was a teacher, right? He's a great teacher. And that people were listening to teacher, teacher, uh, Jesus teaching, and there were other, other teachers, these religious leaders, who were also teaching. But it was different when they were listening to them. And you, you know how this is, because you probably had teachers in school that you listened to, right? Teachers who, when they spoke, you were tuned in, and others where you were like playing Angry Birds, like some of you are right now, right? You're like, I don't really care what they have to say. And so this was the same thing in their cultures. There were the, these religious teachers who seemed to not have authority, They had the authority of their position, but not so much authority in people's lives. And then Jesus spoke, and when he spoke, he spoke with authority. What is it about Jesus' teaching? Why were they so amazed at Jesus' teaching? Now, the first thing we need to understand about leadership is that leadership is nothing more than influence. If you're not influencing people, then you're not leading. Leadership is influence. And Jesus had this way of influencing this culture and changing things. And we're still feeling Jesus' influence today. And his influence came from who he was as a man. Now, some of the things Jesus was teaching were the same things that the the scribes were teaching. And and he would just kind of twist them a little bit and help people understand them better. But listen to this in Matthew 23, verse 1. It says, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, "...the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So practice and observe whatever they tell you." In other words, the scribes and the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the religious leaders, not everything they're saying is bad. They are teaching you good things, but, listen, it says this, "...observe whatever they tell you, but not what they do." Right? You parents have said this, right? "...do as I say, not as I do." (laughs) You've said it a lot, haven't you? We've all said that before, normally to defend our terrible decisions, right? Right? Do as I say, not as I do. I know what I believe, but I don't always do it. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. So, what's the difference between the way that Jesus led versus the way that these religious leaders led? Jesus led with authority and his authority came from his willingness to practice what he preached. And because he practiced what he preached, he had influence in their society, right? Different kinds of influence than the other religious leaders had. This is why I think this is so important. And I'm just kind of stirred up about this whole conversation today because I think this is the key for the church today to have an influence on the world around us. We want to have influence, right? I mean, we want to see people experience Jesus and understand who he is, but I wonder, are you willing to become a servant? Because if you're not willing to become a servant, you may not have influence. Now, now let me just, this is going to hurt a little bit, but I'm just going to be honest. Could the reason that we lack influence be because we have used the grace of Jesus as an excuse to be served rather than a, a reason to serve? Could that really be it? Could that be why the church today is in the margins? Could it, could it be why if you asked your friends, hey, is the church making a good difference in, in your life, that they'd be like, no, I, I don't even know what's going on with the church. I, I don't pay any attention. But I will tell you when the church begins to serve, that people will begin to notice the church. And, the, and ultimately, I believe that the church will gain leadership in the culture and that people will ultimately find Jesus through it. And, that, and that's our heart. If you want to know who ACF Church is, we are a church that's here for our city. We are a church that, that's dedicated to serving our community in the name of Jesus. Write this down if you have a pen. Servanthood positions you for leadership. Servanthood positions you for leadership. This is not what maybe you've been taught. Maybe you think what you've been taught is step on people, get to the top, that will position you for leadership, right? Right? kill everybody get everybody else out of the way and you will be positioned for leadership instead jesus shows up and he has influence which is leadership and he gets there by serving the world this is how you get positioned to be a leader and this again it's not how many people think nor is it what many people feel comfortable with i remember when i was leading worship here i would have people show up uh, to the church who were musicians Oftentimes really talented musician, musicians. And they'd show up and they'd be like, hey, I want to be in the band. I want to be up front. And I'd be like, really, that's, that's great. Why don't you serve in first impressions and shake some hands for a little while? And I can't tell you how many people when I would say that would just be like, I'm going to go find a new church, right? <laughs> because I got to be up front. I know what I do, I know who I am, and look at me, right? I'm a a musician, I'm talented, I need to be in front of people. And I'm like, maybe what you need to do is set up chairs in the back of the room when we're running out of room once in a while. Maybe you need to help on a a serve day at, at church when we're knocking down trees. Maybe you need to just show up. Because I'll tell you, from my role in leadership here at ACF Church, when I am looking for leaders, I'm looking for people, not so much who are up front, but people who are willing to push a broom. I'll be honest with you, people who are willing to serve, cut down some trees, shake some hands, people who are willing to host a a group in their home and deal with, you know, ground in chips in the basement and, you know, grumpy people sometimes and just deal with, with, with ministry in real life. Those are the people I believe who end up being leaders. And that's been my story. If you're wondering like, Brian, why are you up there talking? Well, for me, my journey has simply been saying yes to opportunities. When people have said, hey, there's a need in the church, what do you want to do? I'm like, I'll help, I'll be a part of it. Hey, do you want to come over here and, you know, work with junior high kids? Nobody wants to work with junior high kids, right? And I'm like, I'll work with junior, some of you junior high kids here, I love you, I really do. So I led junior high ministry for a while, and I love junior high students. But, you know, like in that church, people were like, I don't know if I want to do it. I said, I'll do it. I'll lead a junior high group. And so I started hanging out with junior high students and I loved every second of it, but it was work and it was not easy, right? But that's how it is. And then over time, you gain influence and you end up in positions of leadership. This is not what you're taught, right? I mean, go to Barnes & Noble. You will see section after section on how to be a winner, how to lead your organization, how to get your way to the top. And you will see no sections on how to be a servant. You just won't find it. But Jesus, this man who's still influencing us today, is still impacting the world. And if if you're like here and you're not a Christian, and you're just kind of soaking this up, you've got to look at this and go, maybe I don't believe in what Jesus said, or that he was God, or whatever. But you have to look at the life of Jesus and say, why was it so influential? Like, why is this still changing the world today? If you have a Bible, open up to the book of Mark. Mark chapter 9. And if you don't, that's fine. You can read the, the screen behind me or download the ACF Church app on your phone. But we'll be in Mark chapter 9. And what we've got is, is, is Jesus and his disciples walking into to Capernaum. And, and as they're going in, Jesus is speaking to them about what's going to come. Jesus is going to basically let the cat out of the bag, I am going to be crucified. He essentially says the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. And the disciples, the, remember, these are his friends, They've spent all of this time with Jesus. These are his closest friends. Jesus essentially gives them this death sentence that he has. It'd be like you meeting with some friends, hanging out one day, and you're like, hey guys, I I have some big news. Um, I have some kind of, you know, sickness. I just got a bad diagnosis. I've only got a few months to live. So Jesus, Jesus throws this out there in the conversation, while they're walking down the road. This is normally when big conversations happened for them, was when they were walking down the road. And then it says this in verse 33. And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? So Jesus ha- had launched this statement out, and then his boys were back behind him talking about something. And he's like, hey, what were you guys talking about while we are on, wo- on the road? Verse 34, but they kept silent. They don't even answer Jesus' question. They kept silent for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and he called the twelve. And he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them and taking him in his arms he said to them whoever receives one such child in my name receives me and whoever receives me receives not me but him who sent me don't you love the the posture of jesus in this moment now if you were jesus you'd be a little ticked off wouldn't you like, hey, guys, I just talked to you about, you know, how I'm going to die soon. I bet you were, you were back there talking about how can you support me and encourage me? How can you continue on the mission? What, what, what you can do? What were you talking about? <laughs> we were talking about who's the best. That's what we were talking about, right? I just imagine, remember, Jesus is a man. Don't forget that, that Jesus is fully man. And the emotions that Jesus must have felt in the moment, and yet he assumes the posture of a good teacher, right? This is a chance he could get mad and lay into these guys and be like, why are you such terrible friends, right? Instead, he sits them down. He says, here, let me just just tell you what this is really all about. If you want to be first in the kingdom, you're going to be last and servant to all people. Now imagine these guys are probably struggling with what Jesus is saying because they're like, wait a minute, Jesus, don't you know why we're following you? I mean, this whole time, you're going to establish your kingdom here, and you're going to overthrow the Roman government, and we want to be next to you, Jesus. Like, we want to be your right-hand man, assuming power and authority over all of these people. We're really excited. Why else would we hang out with you, Jesus? And Jesus is like, you don't get it. You don't get it. When you, uh, when you serve people, that's how you become the greatest. Notice he doesn't even tell them, like, it's, it's bad to be great. He doesn't tell them, you guys need to stop talking about being great. He's okay with them wanting to be great. He just redefines greatness, doesn't he? He redefines greatness into being the, not the person who is at the front of the line, but the one who sits at the back, the one who's willing to serve all. And then he like grabs a kid, which is funny. I'm like, whose kid was that? He's like a random child walking by. Hey, kid, sermon illustration. Grabs him, puts him on his lap. You know, the kid's probably confused. Like, what am I doing? And he says, if you, if you receive any of these... It's just as if you receive me and the one who sent me. And so what you need to understand is in their culture, children were the least of any anyone. You know, for us in America, we kind of, you know, deify children. We almost worship our kids in many ways. But in their culture, like, children were the lowliest of the lowly. Really, you know, in any situation, they were pushed to the side and pushed to the back of the room, you know. And, and Jesus says, no, you need to receive the least of these So not only does Jesus say that the kingdom of God is about being a servant, he said it's about being a servant to the least, to the marginalized, to those who are pushed to the side, to those that you want nothing to do with or have nothing in common with. And those are the hardest ones, aren't they? Those are the hardest people to serve. But he's like, this is what's going to change the world. This is what's going to reshape our culture is when the people of God serve people who are different than them, who have less than them. Now, now, I just kind of got to throw this in there. You guys been watching the news with the Charlottesville thing? If you guys, you can look it up on your phones here in a little bit. There's just, there's constantly this like wound of, of racial tension that keeps popping up in America, right? And it just gets all over the news, and, 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 and I'm always struggling to try to figure out, you know, what is the real narrative that's going on here? And there's so much in front of us, and, and I, I don't want to get into it too much, and you guys are already, already looking really uncomfortable anyway, because you're like, you can't talk about this in church, which I assure you, we can, um, and, and we will, by the way. Um, so just, there's that. But here's, here's the thing. There is tension here. And um, we need to acknowledge the tension. And sometimes our arguments don't help, right? Let's be honest. Sometimes the way that we argue and the things that we say and the points that we try to make are not helping anyone. And I I honestly believe that if Jesus was here today, he'd be like, hey, just, just kind of take all of the political agendas and set them to the side. Take the news stories and set them to the side. People of God, what does it look like to love someone who's different than you? Go do it. Go do it. And Jesus would say, what does it look like to love someone that's different than you? Not to just put a Facebook post on Facebook. Not to just write another blog or sit around a fire and gripe about people who are different than you and gripe about the movements that are going on here. It looks like serving someone who you might see as the least of these. Because here's what I believe. I believe that that we lack love for other people sometimes, especially those who are different. And I I honestly think that the antidote for that, when we fail to love, is that we need to serve. That is the beginning of us, us drawing love out of our hearts for other people, is to serve right? And so I just, ACF Church, I want to tell you, go serve someone who's different than you. And I'm not just speaking about culture or social or economic differences, I'm speaking about race as well. Go develop a, a deep impacting relationship with somebody who is different than you. I believe that this may be the beginning of healing in our nation, is when the church leads the way in loving and serving those who are different. Anybody amen to that? Come on, this is a big Deal. This is huge, and I'm passionate about this, and, I, and, and it's going to get awkward, right? It's going to get, especially in, in Eagle River, because I don't know if you know this, but this is a highly Caucasian community for the most part. You got a little bit of color here and there, but, uh, you know, somebody here, you know, one of our, you know, uh, brothers or sisters of color are going to get like 17 casseroles after church, right? And it's going to be really like, Brian, I don't want to deal with this, but it's okay, right? Because it's going to get uncomfortable, and what you need to do is learn to receive as much as you give, right? If not for your heart, for the heart of the person who gave to you, Right? And it's going to get comfortable, uh, uncomfortable, and we're going to stub our toes and we're going to say stupid things and it's going to get weird. But listen, this is the beginning of the church leading the way in things that I believe uh, politicians cannot fix, that the church can see real change uh, established in the world. I'm not, this isn't my sermon, but listen, this is what's on people's (laughs) minds. And I know this is what's on the news, and you're going to go home and, and, and read about it if you haven't heard about it, but this is just what's happening. And I don't want us to get lost in the news media or in, in the political narratives that are out there. I want us to get lost in the kingdom story that Jesus is telling and to simply ask ourselves a question, what's it mean to love? Like just put all of your judgments aside, all of your, your, your struggles aside and just say, what does it mean to love? That's how we will see the world change i believe this matthew 25 40 says this and the king will answer them truly i say to you as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers you did it to me so here's the cool thing when you go and serve that person when you go and you're willing to give up something of yourself for someone else you're not just serving that person you are literally serving jesus so write this down serving others brings us close to jesus This is a really important key, especially if you're here today and you feel like God is distant. I sit down with people all the time who are like, man, I feel like God's a million miles away. I feel like when I pray, my prayers are just bouncing up against the ceiling. I feel like I can't really see God and experience God. And I'm like, who have you served lately? Who have you served lately? If you feel like God is distant, just go down to the soup kitchen and you're going to meet God. If you feel like God is distant, Go serve that person at work that nobody else wants to hang out with because they are so annoying. And take them out to lunch and just, just let them talk. Let them talk. Let them pour it all out and just listen to them. Just smile, right? Soak it all up. Care for them. You will meet Jesus. And I assure you of this. When you go and do that, you will then at night, when you're thinking about your faith and thinking about God, God will seem closer. I, I, I really believe this, that if you want to experience God, you go serve the least of these it, it, it's an opportunity we have every single day uh, maybe you're waiting around for some lightning bolt to come out of the sky or some miraculous moment to, to just believe that god is there and god's like go serve a, a cup of soup to somebody and you will experience me colossians three twenty three says whatever you do work heartily as for the lord and not for men knowing that from the lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward you are serving the lord christ what a great passage right So don't just serve them a little bit. We're not talking about giving somebody your leftovers. We're talking about working as if you're working for Jesus, right? Like as if Jesus is your boss, and he's the one watching what you do and what you give. And what you give, you're not giving to this person. You're actually giving it to Jesus. So it better be your best, right? It better be your very best. That's what you do. Not giving to get something, but giving as if you are giving to Jesus. We have opportunities to do this all the time. And we're doing something called Impact Eagle River this year, which you guys know about Impact Eagle River. Excited about this. If you're new, uh, we cancel church once a year, our our, our normal church gathering. And we go out in the city and we are the church to Eagle River. We serve our community. So we'll be doing free oil changes in the parking lot uh, for single parents, adoptive families, and foster families. Uh, We'll be out in our city raking leaves and cleaning yards for people that can't do it themselves. We'll even be mowing yards and raking yards for people that can do it and they get really uncomfortable and it's awesome. (laughs) Because they're like looking through the blinds and they're like, I should be doing this. What are the Christians doing? It's so weird. I don't know. Like, and they don't know what to do with themselves, right? And I love it. I love that every year we have these opportunities uh, to help people out who are, who have real needs to, to be the hands and feet of Jesus in our city. And when you do, I, I swear to you, people will notice the church that day. And I love, honestly, it's one of my favorite Sundays. I don't have to preach, but also I get to help people uh, serve others. And I just, I get excited about that. I get excited about that. But here's what, here's what's sad is for me. I get really concerned and sad thinking that for, for anybody in the room, that they would go serve at Impact Eagle River and be like, looking forward to next year. And that was it. The Impact Eagle River could be the beginning and the end of what it means to serve our city instead of just a launching point for you then to go and love that neighbor next door, right? For you then to gather some co-workers together and help that single mom out who needs a washing machine. Uh, sometimes people will come to me and they'll be like, hey, Brian, I, I, I heard of this need, um, this mom who needs something. Can, can the church do something? And I'm like, yes, the church can. Go do it, right? You and your friends get together and, and get some resources and go love this person. Uh, the whole purpose of the church, of the, uh, of the leadership here, is to help empower you to go be Jesus to people. And, for, and Jesus says, welcoming these little ones in my name. When he says in my name, he means welcome them the way that I welcome them, and the way that Jesus welcomes people who are different than them is to serve them. That's what he does. So he just is such a servant. He models this perfectly, and because of that, he has authority. Once again, could the reason that Christians don't have authority in the world today be because we don't serve them very well? And could the moment that you serve them be the moment that they begin to listen to what you have to say? Maybe it's not a, not a special argument. You know, apologetics are great if you're a studier of apologetics and understanding, you know, how to defend and argue your faith. That, that's a good thing. I mean, you should understand that. But nothing is as powerful as simply giving a cup of water to somebody who needs it. I mean, that's there's power in that. So it continues on. Verse 38. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. Okay, so, so first they're arguing about who's the greatest in the kingdom of God. And Jesus tells them that, that the first would be last. Last would be first. And he says, oh, and by the way, we saw, the, we saw this guy, and he was casting out demons, which is a good thing right? You know, if, if you have the ability to cast out a demon, somebody's got a demon, and you cast it out, it's a good thing to do, right? So he's successfully doing this, and it's probably drawing a bit of a crowd, right? People are seeing this. He's getting a little street cred for it, but he's not part of this, like, Jesus circle. He's not part of the 12. And so John's like, hey, hey, quit. Quit that. You're getting credit for this. We are the chosen few, right? We are those who are following Jesus. And I love how Jesus responds. But Jesus said, do not stop him. For no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Jesus is like, hey, I don't care that somebody else is preaching the kingdom of God by serving and, 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 and loving them. I, I don't care, because they're still preaching the kingdom of God. They are still showing the kingdom of God to people. Whereas John's like, but it's not us, Jesus. And, and there's a really clear act- application for this for the church today. Um, I don't know if you've ever lived somewhere where you see, like, church wars, <laughs> where, where, like, churches are competing with each other, and it's like, there's there's sort of this this undercurrent of, like, oh, that church is... You know, they've got all those people, and, you know, like they're seeing things happen there, and like there's this competition and criticism that grows up inside of us. Here's the key thing if God is moving somewhere, we should celebrate it. I mean, that's what the church is supposed to do. If he's moving in a church that's in Eagle River or in Anchorage or across the world, I don't care who it is, if the kingdom of God is being preached and people are being saved and God is working somewhere, right? I mean, we clap, we are celebrating the movement of God wherever it is. But if you gotta be first, you're gonna struggle with this because people who have to be first always struggle to celebrate other people's success, right? I mean, you can't, you can't enjoy that they were successful because you yourself did not get what they got. But when you understand this, man, you're just gonna be glad that the kingdom of God is advancing. You're just gonna be glad that that person got the promotion, you're just going to be glad that, that you know whoever it is is succeeding in their life, whatever that is. I, I think if I were to boil everything that Jesus is saying down, I, I'd boil it down to this last statement. By being first, you'll end a blast in the kingdom of God. I honestly believe that that, that this the, the twist here, the, the new way of thinking will, will actually put you first. It will give you greatness when thinking the way that you used to think or the way that maybe the world thinks. We'll put you last in the kingdom of God. How often do we confuse success for greatness? Once again, Jesus is, a lo- is okay with them wanting to be great. He just redefines greatness. So don't ever confuse your success with your greatness. It's really important. Or don't ever confuse someone else's success with greatness. Maybe you've done this before. Um, there, there's, a, there's a quote. They say, don't ever meet your heroes. You guys ever heard that? Don't ever meet your heroes. Because have you ever met somebody who's famous? Or somebody who you really respect uh, from a distance because of their writings or their, their music or something, and then met them and be like, oh, they're <laughs> just like a terrible human being, right? And you're like, oh, this is weird. Like they're successful, but there's something about them that is not great. And the same thing happens in us. We can have a lot of money, we can be at the top of the org chart, we can own the business. Uh, we can have all the stuff. We can, you know, have the, 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 the wife or the husband and the kids and the American dream and all of that stuff. And everybody maybe around is like, oh, they're successful. But what people say you're great, because if you look at the leaders in your life who you respect the most, normally it's not because they're so good at what they do. It's because of who they are as human beings. You, you, when you talk to them, it's almost like they actually care about you. When you talk to them and spend time with them, it's almost like they care more about your success than their own. And here's what you need to know. Here's the secret. That's what got them there. That's what gave them the influence. That's how they got to that position was they decided to not focus so much on elevating themselves. They focused more on elevating others. And by elevating others, they actually ended up elevating themselves. And this will change the workplace. It'll change your home. What does it look like to assume the posture of greatness in your home? I think like, so I'm a dad, I got three kids and and I, I feel like I've had this twisted perspective on greatness from time to time. And maybe you've been here where, you know, you're at this job and you're not getting paid enough. And you get no respect at work, and you're working twelve-hour days, and you know you roll into the house and open the door, and you know it's just like a, a, an atom bomb's gone off in your home. You know, there's just junk everywhere, and there's like kids crying, and your wife's over there, and she's like working on dinner, and she's got like spaghetti sauce in her hair. You know, and there's the baby in the baby backpack, and they're just freaking out, you know, and dinner's not done, and, and you have a choice to make, right? You have a choice to make in that moment. And that choice will be defined by how you see greatness. Because then you walk in and you go and you take the baby out of the backpack. and You know, you, you take the care of the kids on the floor and instead of just sitting on the couch on your iPhone, you actually get down in the carpet with them and then you start setting plates on the table and you just roll into bed. And I would argue to, do, to you today that that is greatness. That in my mind, greatness is like, walk into the house, Amanda's like all dressed up nice, honey, what can I do for you? My children are all standing in a perfect row. Here are Doritos, daddy. Here's your chair. Here's the remote control. And I sit down and I'm like, in my mind, that is greatness, right? By trying to be first, you will end up last in the kingdom of God. That's not greatness. And if you looked in at that from the outside, you'd be like, yeah, that's not really what I would respect out of someone but the man who just gets down in the mess with his kids when he is dog tired, I respect that man. Maybe you're a, you're a wife and, and, and you just want everything to be perfect in your house and that has not happened. And you got to like give up that dream of what your home's supposed to look like and what your kids are supposed to look like because they're, you know, just as jacked up as everybody else's kids. And, and at some point, you just love them for where they're at and that women of God is greatness maybe it's in the workplace and all your friends you know they want to get to the top and they know how to step on people and undermine people so that they can get the position but you decide to help other people succeed and you're gonna you're gonna mentor this person who's just struggling in their job instead of stepping on them to get the position friends that is greatness what does it look like to assume this new posture of greatness in the world because think about how the early church grew. Think about how it began. It began as Jesus is crucified. He dies for us, the ultimate act of service for humanity. And then he goes to the grave, he's resurrected, and there's this contingent of Christian believers. And over the next 300 some odd years, that group of Christians ends up overthrowing that Roman government. I mean, it, it changed the world, not because they had the most money not because they had the most power, but because they knew how to serve. Because when there were needs, they just went and met the needs. Like, oh, you need something? Here, take mine. They were generous with their time, with their money, with their, their, their talents, with everything they had. They were generous and their generosity shaped the community. I think it shaped the world. And that is the new posture of greatness. I really believe that as you, the church, become business owners and, As you start leading people and maybe you get a lot of resources, I think people people should think this. They should think the best thing for the world is when a Christian has a lot of power and a lot of money. Do you think people think that? Because I think they should. I think they should think when Christians get a lot of power and a lot of money, it's better for everyone. Like the, the world gets better. I think people should think that about our church when they see in the, in the springtime, you know, we're hoping to, to bump out the back of this building and, and continue expanding because there's no seats in here. And so we're, we're hoping to continue doing that in the spring. And when that happens, when your friends drive by this, this building and they see a bunch of yellow machinery working around outside, and they're like, ACF Church is growing. I want them to look at their husband or their wife in the car and say, it's going to get better in Eagle River. It's just going to get better. Don't you want that to be the vision? It starts with you. It starts with you. It starts with me, being willing to humble ourselves, take on the form of a servant, and love our community the way that Jesus loved people. Let's pray together. God, we are your disciples in this story. Um, While you are giving up your life we are arguing about who's the best. While you are bleeding on a cross, God, we are stepping on people to get to the top. And today, God, I pray that you would show us what it looks like to assume the posture of greatness. God, I pray we would see what it looks like to serve not with something in mind to get for ourselves but merely to serve people because when we serve them we serve you and God we couldn't love you anymore we couldn't be more grateful for you and God I really do pray that in the community of Eagle River when they think of the church not just ACF church but the church of Eagle River and all the other buildings that are gathering today God that when people think of the people of God they would think of true love and true service So Jesus, show us how to do that. Give us conviction where we need conviction. Uh, Show us tonight even, in big ways and small ways, that that we can serve our friends and our families. Uh, Show us on Monday morning when life just gets real and busy, how to take this practically into our homes and into our schools. And God, we we will be your people. And we will be your hands and feet in this city. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Thanks.